This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's not actually red. It turns red when you press it. Right. Ready? Always. Ready. Just say something, just to Saying see how something. it records. Tonev, yeah. I love Tonev. How's your levels? <laughs> right then, let's go. Could we use the word embarrassing? I don't want to say sorry, because we got away with it against uh, Yeovil a couple of weeks ago. All you can say was we got what we deserved, which was nothing what we deserved, the way we played, the way we went about it, the way we tried to play was just um, was chalk and cheese from um, what we witnessed on Saturday and the, and, the, and the midweek before that. But look, I take the responsibility of it. I've changed the whole team um, because of the ones who have been knocking on my door where there was their opportunity. And it's fair to say they haven't grasped it, that's for sure. We were absolutely hopeless. And, uh, and we have to take that on the chin and accept the consequences and be big enough and brave enough to, and to admit that we were just nowhere near, nowhere near the mark which is required. Listen, I can't, I can't stand here and defend them. It's difficult to come out and face all of you because I am flabbergasted of what I've just... When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. And joining me on Aston Villa's only naturist podcast are the naked forms of Chris Budd and Dan Rogers from the TheVillaUnderground.com. It's a three-way action podcast. Oi, Welcome. Oi. Hello, my villa chums. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Rogers back in the Villa universe, or the Villaverse as uh, you labelled it. And I, I use that almost in every article I write. What a legacy. The royalty check is en route, I assume. Yeah. Just before we get into the show, uh, just very briefly, how are you viewing the current standing in the Villaverse, this unbeaten start in the league? Are you feeling half full, half empty, Chris? I'm content. Good start. I'll take it. Picking up points, accumulating. We're in and amongst it, as Bruce likes to say, every five minutes. I assured people on, I think it was Instagram, that uh, I expect Villa to remain in top six until the end of the season. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Yeah. I mean, in reality, we won't be at Christmas, but if we go seventh, though, it's going to be a, a dark day. <laughs> so, Dan, how, how are you feeling? I'm positive. I think given given where we were at when, you know, in the middle of the summer, you, you'd, you'd open your phone and you'd go, oh, we're going into administration. What? And then, 
<laughs> and then we can't make any signings, and then we don't have any money, and then we have an absent owner with the best Twitter PR in the world who some people still worship. Yeah, exactly. Some people still don't believe we were going into administration, and they just say, oh, it's James Nursery said that, and that, that means it doesn't happen. You know, it's, mm. it's all a load of bollocks. It's paper talk. And he saved yeah. us. He saved us. No, he was desperate. And, and to be honest, we'll come to him later, I'm sure. But yeah, the, yeah. the fact that we've got two guys in who are, um, I mean, the, the, the one guy's ridiculously wealthy. The other guy is, is very wealthy too. But it put us at a huge disadvantage. And I think that though Bruce's uh, team selections and approach have um, not been universally well received, I think we'll perhaps say, yeah. we're, in, we're in pretty good shape so far this season. But I don't think it's any surprising that we've got signings coming in now because we need, um, as we'll talk about, the Brentford and Ipswich games we, we were lacking in areas voice from the future this podcast was actually recorded before the one-all draw against Reading at Villa Park but it's uh, there in spirit I mean it's the same kind of vibe we played pretty well in the first hour or so as we did against Brentford it's just the late equaliser was the other way round should be dealt with by James Chester oh, it's a penalty the Villa players can't believe it but Reading have a chance in stoppage time to salvage a point. In the 93rd minute, Chester, it's a clumsy challenge. He should have done a lot better with it. Gives his whistle. Bulldog steps up and blasts it down the middle. And Reading have surely salvaged a share of the points at Villa Park. I thought the point was actually going to drop us down the league, but we actually went up to fourth. So the sentiments of the podcast still stand, but it's just three draws on the trot. Throw in a little bit of getting knocked out of the uh, League Cup by Burton and it's suddenly four winless games. I think we're still feeling the same as we did uh, after the Brentford game because the problems that Villa have are pretty much the same old problems. Anyway, back to the show. The bottom line is you don't win every game in a season. Mm, absolutely. I mean, as the as the old adage goes, you don't start looking at the league table really until about 10 nah. games. So... Uh, mm. We'll see what happens there. Anyway, let's have a quick three points to uh, kick off the show. A show that uh, I think we'll do in two parts. We'll uh, do the normal show and then, just because to get the first bit out quicker, we'll do a second part, which will be the listener questions. And there's a- actually, there's bloody loads of them uh, through on Instagram. So we'll do that as a, as a separate show. Anyway, three points. First one, uh, the away season ticket scheme, uh, which uh, a lot of people have been moaning about for good reason, because it wasn't really explained to people. I went to uh, an away consultation group and actually confronted the head of ticketing, Lino Reardon, regarding the fact that I don't, didn't think the club realised that most fans who have got into this scheme seem to think that they pay £40 and then they can just pick and choose what they want. So obviously pick, you know, the local derbies, baggies, blues, and then, uh, you know, sod the rest while other fans are saying, well, I've been to 15 away games last year. Mm. So uh, why am I suddenly behind them in the pecking order? And it's quite funny because I don't think she really realises on the ground level, that's what a lot of people think. And in fact, there's some staff members who also think that. And she said, oh, well, uh, in clause seven, it says you need to have a certain percentage of games before you can attend the baggies game. What's that percentage? Uh, I don't know, maybe like 75%. So it just sounds like it's all a bit wishy-washy. So mm-hmm. uh, I asked her basically to write to all the members of the scheme to actually explain exactly what it is and, and spell it out just to kind of nip the uh, problems in the bud. But, you know, you have these fan consultation groups and obviously this was something that was uh, released without any consultation with this group. So uh, that's what you get. Point number two, uh, I don't know if anybody out there, I think I tweeted uh, some sections of it, but it was kind of a contrast to uh, Dr. Tony's approach to running Villa was Jeff Shy's The Wolf CEO in the, uh, I think it's Football Business magazine. I just read this interview and, I, and it just sprung out off the pages like just A to Z common sense. And when you read it, you realise it's pretty much opposite to everything that Aston Villa did. Again, this is Chinese owners. Chinese owners are wolves. Uh, he was essentially saying that when they took over, they were told that you need a team of elite British players to win promotion. And, uh, you know, it's, you need tough players, blah, 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 experience. These are the things that Steve Bruce and, you know, Winus and Steve Round were all saying. And then Jeff uh, Shai said, well, obviously, uh, you know, we tried that the first season. It didn't work. But the problem is you have 24 teams all chasing the same type of players. So they uh, just went abroad to, you know, Europe, South America and decided if you play better football, it doesn't matter where these players are from. 
and better football as it to quote him usually means that you're more fast physical and skillful and and as a result you win and you're better than your opponent I've got a conspiracy theory uh, for you just to run by you quickly Go I remember uh, when the rumours were Chinese owners are incoming, you know, I wrote a few articles. Why are the Chinese, uh, in, you know, interested in uh, English football? So suddenly within a space of, uh, was it the summer or a year? Mm, a year? All the four main West Midlands clubs, Blues, Baggies, Wolves, Villa, are bought up by Chinese owners. And you're thinking, well, this is more than a coincidence. So my conspiracy theory is, and all of this is meant to be driven by the, the prime ministers uh, in China's goal of China winning the World Cup in, you know, 2030 or, you know, whenever that year is. And so my conspiracy theory is, it's like, you know, you have reality shows to fill, the, like in excess when, when they lost their lead singer, they had a re- reality show in Australia to get a singer for, for the band. I think, did Queen do it as well? Mm, in America and uh, it's a bit like The Apprentice so I think in China there's a big TV show going on where four contestants essentially uh, (laughs) working for the government are enlisted to pick a team they've got a choice of four teams and they've all got to assume a uh, a friendly English sounded name so I think the choices were Tony Jeff Paul I don't I don't think the West I don't think the West Brom guy I think he ditched his friendly English name Big Dave something to use on Big Dave <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he passed it on to the manager instead so they had a choice of Jeff Tony Dave and Paul so I don't know if it was like the Drew Lots or whatever you know maybe the first person drew West Brom because they were in the Premier League at the time so there's a bit of an added advantage then probably Tony chose Villa because they had parachute payments and uh, whatever and then I don't know if they drew lots to choose the name so I think what would you have gone for well Dave is my name so I'd probably gone for that but I quite like Jeff Jeff Shy sounds fantastic that's a very good name Carson Young remains one of my favorite ones good strong name for a hairdresser people have problems uh, I mean digressing a little bit people have problems with like social appropriation uh, of mm. like people have having to use English names just to fit in. But in this instance, it's, it, it kind of works <laughs> quite well. I mean, like, it's easier to be called Dr. Tony on your Twitter and, and let's say the Pied Piper of Villa Twitter, as I would call him, and sucker a load of people in. I mean, plus, I guess as well, if, if HMRC need to send you letters, they don't exactly know who to address it to. I just, a, I mean, a loose thought I had. I mean, it's just a conspiracy theory, but uh, maybe uh, all these West Midlands clubs, we're just involved in one big, television reality stroke game show in china no it's like love island or it's just someone's massive tax write-off a whole lot <laughs> allegedly <laughs> allegedly <laughs> that, that bill was paid though <laughs> meanwhile in china everybody's sitting there laughing at their television sets at the downfall of uh, villa my favorite week was when they voted keith Weiner out the house that was a <laughs> that was a surprise wasn't it <laughs> And then very quickly, uh. they, they got rid of Steve Square. I mean, Steve Round. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gags write themselves, folks. Welcome to episode 50. But they are refusing to uh, vote <laughs> out uh, Steve Bruce. Uh, they're digging, really digging their heels in there. It's, it's uh, a bit of a strange one. He's stuck in the diary room chair, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We kind of drifted off the initial point, but it's it's kind of quite an interesting article. And he's talking about wolves becoming the biggest in Asia, and they've got a head start at the moment. But they seem to have a, a real plan. And you know, he was also talking about this is Jeff, by the way. Mm. If you're an overseas company is successfully going to run something, you have to be there and live there, so mm. you know every nuance and everything that happens. Uh, I mean, I've always had this opinion that if you employ the right person on the ground to run, you know, run your ship, then it doesn't really matter. But this guy taught me around it, especially if you're from a different business culture. Mm. I think you can read all the TripAdvisor books in the world and all the Harvard Business Reviews, but if you find yourself having having read uh, Lonely Planet for England and then find yourself in Wolverhampton, if you if you find success, in my view, you've achieved. You know, that's that's why capital controls don't impact you. I think in China, <laughs> they just go well done, well done. Yeah, and. Uh, he's also talking about building a stadium of 55 60,000 and that was obviously what Dr Tony said to me oh 60 why not 60 why, why not 80 
100, <laughs> higher than 100, 120. Oh, but Wolves, I think they said they will be deciding at the end of this season uh, what they're going to do in terms of the bigger plan in terms of stadium. And that's mm. obviously all whether... I think, A, that if they impress themselves on the league and B, aren't actually getting relegated. Mm. Moving on to point three was just a little ditty about... I think it was in newspapers this week. Norwich painting Kerrow Road's away dressing rooms pink. Red is dead, blue is through, green's obscene, brown's taboo. Pink, pink! With the, uh, the cunning mm. plan to uh, calm opposition players and lower their testosterone levels. <coughs> That's worked well. It's not working. Have they won it all yet? I mean, nope. I, I, didn't ca- I didn't catch I mean, they've it. They've sold everyone, haven't they? I wonder what colour they painted the, the home dressing room. But no, I mean, this is a tradition where... I mean, Villa's away dressing room's not too bad, but obviously it's not as, let's say, uh, swish as the home dressing room. What happened to people just focusing on, on winning football games instead of trying to apply some bizarre psychology to things? I don't, you know, it's the psychology is the, the, old, the way I think of it is, I don't know, you know, Vieira and, and Keane facing off in the tunnel. They won't have cared what colour the dressing room was painted, would they, ultimately, you know? Good yeah, players are no. good players. It might work if you if you paint it pink when Villa come to town because it might remind Villa players of that kind of pinky purple uh, claret that uh, Under Armour and uh, Macron <laughs> were trying to pass off as uh, claret. But uh, I mean, back in the day, uh, I think you know an infamous one would be when you'd go and play Wimbledon, where they would uh, turn all the hot water off, play loud music, basically to uh, disorientate you, and then kicked the living shit out of you on the pitch. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't so subtle. <laughs> because there's so much money at stake in terms of the championship mm. and getting promoted, I'm, I'm surprised that Villa aren't putting like LSD in the water and the uh, away dressing <laughs> room and all kinds Villa's of tricks. Catering into the into the away dressing room would be, would be <laughs> always a selection of. Uh, oh, I think I think they're burgers. Some of them have meat in. That's last season's pie. Yeah. <laughs> if Norwich get relegated, that will be a lesson not to paint your dressing room uh, pink. Now it's time for Twitter with Tony. Dr. Tony, you've got to make some tweets for your Villa Millions. We've got to stay relevant. The Egyptian and American rich men don't have Twitter. We have the advantage. July 20th. It's been very, very tough two months on the run. Nothing changed my love and commitment to AV, apart from the financial obligations. Even the Chinese economy policy made things of most difficulty. Hope new partnership with Nassif and Wes, real billionaires, bastards. We can continue our efforts, three's a crowd, says Wes, to bring Villa to where it belongs. Solvency, hashtag Villa in my heart. July 20th, all your support has been the last driving force helping me to get through the most difficult time. Miss you, Keith. August 6th, thanks for your kind wishes, all three of them. Have to say, we were even worse than Sunderland when we walked in. I don't recall for what. I've been trying, though. I know we could do much better in many ways. August 18th. Not a pleasant weekend. But his season card was declined and Big Keith won't let me watch his AVTV. August 22nd. The King Codger is back. Until Bristol asks us to pay up. August 23rd. Thanks for your fair words, suckers. I contributed all I could, the fucking note apart from emojis, and I have never felt regretful, except I did feel gutted, like Big Keith, as some fans misunderstood when they really didn't know the truth. Not that there was any. I couldn't do anything more except if I could score two goals in playoff final, aside from paying bills. Hashtag UTV. Since the last podcast, two games, two draws with very Mm. different narratives. The first one, it's been a bit of a trait in the Bruce tenureship, is breaking down. I think when we beat Ipswich last season, they went down to 10 men, did they not? Mm. They did, yeah. But, you know, that's not a great team. But when we've played a team that's, let's say, a little bit more organised, 
uh, a la Middlesbrough when they were we had to play them for te- with ten men for eighty seven minutes. Fulham when if ever you needed a team to go down, if you're one nil down and you you need somebody to go down to ten men with twenty minutes to play in a playoff final, it was then, mm. and we we didn't even get to earn a corner in the whole game. And then against Ipswich, I thought Villa were were doing well against eleven men, and then they seemed to uh, I don't know, it just wasn't as impressive in the second half. I mean, there's the tradition, obviously, that ten men focus a bit more and obviously play deeper and uh, try to shut up shop. But you know, in the end, that's enough time to break anybody down. Dan, what, what was your take on it? I think it underlined how I think if you'd had a proper summer of recruitment, you'd have, you know, and that was I think inherently because of our financial situation, and and uh, though it was kept very quiet, a transfer embargo. But Ipswich showed us that we hadn't moved on from the some some of those problems you just described that ultimately led to us not going up automatically last season. That we we didn't seize upon those chances that when Newcastle went up, when Brighton went up, when, when you know, your Wolveses are going up. And actually, I have to say, because it wasn't particularly pretty, Cardiff last season, they were winning those types of games. And yeah. I think what I would say is I, its context is very important. We had such a dreadful start last season that the fact that I know it's against 10 men and the context is we, we would have liked to have gone on and won the game. We didn't lose that fixture overall. But I think if we'd have we'd been in a place where, you know, you wind the clock forward and, and I'm sure... You, um, Chris will be talking about Brentford in a minute, but it, we were we were crying out for injecting some pace, some width into that against a, a team that, for the best part of the second half, was was down to ten men. What that draws is obvious criticism of Bruce because it was a very samey response. If you're looking at it objectively, yeah. we didn't do anything that it didn't surprise anyone what happened and the way the game petered out. And you thought, well, that was a missed opportunity. I, I don't sit in either side of the Bruce camp, and I'm probably in, I'm still annoyingly on the fence with it because I don't think we need to be over, get overreacting at this stage. But I, I would hate for the Ipswich game to be one where we look back upon. You know, you've already mentioned that you want to see us slipping out of sixth spot this season. Yeah, those are the kind of games that when you start tallying up, and c- they can count against a manager. And Bruce was, you know, Brentford will be spoken about in a minute. But ha- if we'd have lost the Br- the Brentford game, it would have changed the narrative of yeah. all, all the good play that we had during that Brentford game, and and the, against the backdrop of a disappointing result of Ipswich would have been lost. Yeah, do you have anything to add to that, Chris, in terms of not beating Ipswich? I mean, against 11 men, 11 men at any away point you know, in the championship, mm. you, you kind of shrug your shoulders and go, okay, you know, it's an away point, it's an away point, but obviously 50 minutes or so against 10 men. is that Does that show that we may be heading to the play? I mean, it's very early days, but are we the calibre of team that's a playoff team as opposed to automatic uh, is what I'm getting at. I mean, it's still too early to tell because, you know, in, you know, it's time we'll, we'll know where we stand with the transfer window and who's come in and, you know, who's mm. likely to feature. And I think Bruce will have a better idea of what his team is. It, it, it looked, as with the previous games at the start of the season, that it's a team that doesn't quite know what the plan is yet. You know, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's some really good individual performances and there has been in, you know, all the games so far. But as far as like a cohesiveness and that ability to go through the gears, which, you know, when the opposition goes down to 10 men, you have to do. Because you you know you knew what was going to happen. They were going to put 10 men behind the ball and say, right, we're happy with the point. And you kind of, you know, you have to give Ipswich a certain amount of credit and say, well, you know, fair enough, you had a job to do and you did it quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, did, did Bruce have a plan B? Well, he hasn't so far in his tenure at Villa, so I don't mm. really see why he would have started <laughs> at Ipswich. But say what um, you mean, Chris. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> who, who is it Who is it that says... I, I heard this a couple of days ago... Uh, a good manager doesn't have a plan B. He improves his plan A. That sounds like a Fergusonism. I can't remember what the context was. I mean, that's that's the thing, you know. I mean, it didn't need Villa to be much better to beat Ipswich. That's the frustrating thing. Mm, I'd agree with that. You know, the start of a championship season is a little bit like the start of a Grand National, where you know everybody mm. goes off, all bumping into each other, and we've had a couple two potential uh, issues where we could have let's say fallen back or you know been dismounted mm. and we got that winner against Wigan in the last in the last mm. seconds and then we also got a, an equalizer against Brentford in the last uh, seconds which kept us in the running kept us near the front and showed that we have actually got a resilience which uh, yeah. is something if it gets contagious will be a very very good uh, attribute to have going forward yeah i mean we we discussed last time out didn't we that Last season, I think we we came from behind twice to win in the whole season. Yeah, yeah. We've done that twice already, and we've salvaged mm. a game with mm. literally the last kick of the game. Now, you know, people can blast Bruce tactically all they want, but 
as far as the team actually having a bit of metal to grind out a result, you can't fault him for that. You know, there were there were times last season when that game would have petered out at one nil, and the, the ground would have emptied, and the team would have, yeah, you know, he'd, he'd have brought on four strikers and started lumping it. So it was great that actually, when Al Mohammed had got in a position, he delivered a pretty good ball, and mm. we, put, you know, we put the ball in the net. The same with the Wigan game. Obviously, Hurahan got into a good position, showed a bit of composure didn't panic, put the ball on a plate, Bjarnason scored the winner. That's you know, has to be taken as something of a positive, you know. We shall see over the course of the next months if, you know, the tide turns and we start getting late goals scored against us. But yeah. as things stand, we're actually showing a couple of traits that actually we didn't have last year. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about them petering out. I've been watching, sorry, I've been reading a lot of what Brentford fans have been saying and they, and they have... To sum them up, they've been saying they've actually played other teams off the park uh, this season so far. So they were actually, you know, they were coming to, uh, let's say, uh, put on a show against us. But they were really frustrated about how Bruce actually did a job on them and uh, Mm. I think kind of pressed up high and didn't allow them to play. And they said, you know, it kind of took its toll because after like the, let's say, 60, 70 minute mark, uh, obviously we tired a bit and then they had a few chances. They could have and should have won the game. Uh, Nayland made some good saves. But but still, even though they were tired, they managed to pull that last ditch effort out of the bag and, and still never yeah. give up. I think with um, the way Brentford set up, you're right, Bruce actually got it right by pushing their two fullbacks back and they did it really well in the second yeah. half. Every time they had a goal kick, we'd get right up on the corner of the penalty area because they want to play out from the back. Yeah. Whereas, now I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of Yedinak at centre-back, but the one thing he mm. did do was every time Brentford tried to go long, we won the ball. Mm. I think with Brentford, what might happen with them over the course of the year is that they have a really attractive plan A, but... Yeah. They're going to come up against teams who are going to kick them off the park because they've got yeah. McEachern in the middle of the park. He got subbed off. Yeah, they've got a lot off. of they've got a, ver- a lot of very nice players, but they don't want to mix it. And similarly to really with like Wolves and Fulham last year, when you got unless, unless them, they're unless they're stamping on our players, but well, no don't comment. Start me. Don't start on that one. <laughs> um, Sorry, carry on. I think uh, similarly to Wolves and Fulham last year, you know, if you let them play their way, they'll rip you to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, if you get in and amongst them. At the back, I thought Brentford were there for the taking. Mm. Once you get past their midfield and onto the back four, I think they are, um, they've got quite a soft underbelly. I don't think they're one of those teams that are going to battle out sort of scrappy wins. I think if they play well, they have to play well to win, I think yeah. is what I'm trying to say. They're not going to win ugly. And I think a big part of their surprise when they played us was obviously uh, John McGinn. Mm. And he, he's somebody that the Brentford fans actually praised. I heard somebody call him a terrier in midfield, but I wanted to mm. call him a different dog's name. <laughs> I thought he was a, he was a very, very... Um, he was everywhere, wasn't he? In the yeah. Brentford game. Yeah. I, I actually thought... It, it was funny because you read some of the, the pre-match stuff and I know a lot of it's conjecture and whatnot, but it was almost as though Barcelona were coming to play at Villa Park. You know, the Dean Smith... Completely. It was almost branded as football was, against anti-football, which it is... It was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. Yeah. So I took my seat in the whole ten thinking, well, this could be a, you know, a fantastic spectacle. And the reality <laughs> was that we were quite similar football teams, I thought. that we both Because we stopped them playing. Well, we did, and, and my reason for, for jumping in really is I think that it was my first opportunity to have a real close look at McGinn where I thought that this is a team that's going to play through us and they move the ball very quickly from, from back to front, as Chris just yeah, said. Yeah. But, I, but I also thought, and I read a couple of forums before the, the Brentford game, is that they, their fans observed that they, they struggled to hold the middle part of the game, so they would look to steal that goal as they did, and they would look to see us tire, which they did. But I, yeah. I, I thought that and this is where I think our two glaring weaknesses because of our lack of transfer activity and and on part in part Bruce's stubbornness. So I see it as two factors here. One is like both defences had a weakness, as is that we're marrying up the centre at halves poorly, and I think Brentford's is quite a soft back four, as as was yeah. mentioned. And we we haven't honed our attacking threat yet. You know, Kodja was feeding off scraps really and scored two fantastic goals anyway. But I think that showed that if we'd have had, you know, if we'd have had those supporting characters, if you like, around that, that I think we'd have had too much for Brentford over 90 minutes, especially if we could have injected something at 70 minutes. Yeah, because early on, we were particularly wasteful. And, and I noticed, mm. I mean, Adoma had a good, well, let's say early part of the season, uh, last season, and a lot of it mm. came from drifting in from the left-hand yep. side and almost playing as that secondary centre-forward. But I noticed last night he would uh, he would beat the man, whether by pace or, or trickery. 
And then he would have that extra step or he would adjust his mm. body to put, get it onto his right foot. And by that kind of extra split second, the defender gets a challenge in or puts him off putting in a decent cross. Mm. You know, I noticed, well, if he actually just whipped it in first time, if he was naturally left-footed, he would have got that cross in, no problem. Mm. And there was an example later on in the game where he did just whip it in with his left foot and created a chance for Codger. I think yes. it, was a bit too, it was a bit too central, so... You know, his instinct, he just hit it first time and uh, it went straight at the keeper. But you're thinking, if we've got... It's all about margins. It's all about seconds. If you've got wingers who are naturally, you know, right-footed on the right wing, left-footed on the left wing, then they can get round the back. They can beat the, that full-back, get behind them. And if you're trying to break down, uh, for example, against Ipswich, those two banks of... Well, almost two banks of five or five and four. It's all about that split second to get that first time cross in. And you, and you normally only do that on your natural foot. That was always the difference, and I always used yeah. to think, and why Adoma, though he faded towards the end of last season, he had a lot of success with it in the early part, is that Snodgrass was such a different player to have with that similar thing with the op- on the opposite foot. But the difference on that, and this is why I think that Snodgrass always retained an, a lot of goodwill with the Villa fans, despite things not necessarily always coming off in terms of assists, was that his movement inside and, that, and the ball in would be dangerous regardless. I think Adoma has a habit, yeah. as, as you just said, of he'll get into the good space and then deliver such a poor ball that there's no danger. You know, with Snodgrass, you'd have that cut in, that shot that might bend in or get a flick or be an assist. And Adomas is, is until he was um, taken off, I thought it, he looked like a player who unfortunately is, is fading. And, and the signings, I think, probably will, will move him to be a bit part player this season. With that said, he could still have an impact. I was thinking about last season, uh, in terms of them, you know, Snodgrass and Adomo fading, I was just thinking, well, potentially that uh, the teams have obviously worked it, worked it out that Villa True. play two wingers that cut in. And so uh, yeah. obviously you take precautions against that and make sure they don't turn you that side. Yeah, I think the other thing with, with both of those guys last season is Adoma is tricky but isn't lightning quick and Snodgrass mm. is, has never been a quick winger he's not one of these head down yeah. get to the ball on and whip it in type players he's the, that's the outlet that Green potentially gives you no one really knows yet and his end product is you know discussed Green there, a few but... times uh, like last season on the show and, and our conclusion was always, he was always a, a little bit one dimensional in terms of mm. running the same channel and do you know what I thought last I thought in the Brentford game as he came on because he had what 20 minutes or so give or take yeah yeah, I, I, he reminded me very much of of Grealish as he was he was first, you know, maybe a couple of seasons into his Villa career, where you weren't quite sure whether he knew how he could best hurt teams as well. Do you know what I mean? He's almost he's trying to play like a, as a byline winger, and it's quite clumsy actually. Where I think he doesn't look like he's playing naturally all of the time for me. Whereas you see now with Grealish has a an athleticism and a confidence to ghost among players. Yeah, you know, I don't know whether that's how Green will develop, but. For me, you've got to come on and, and be looking to have that impact because you can see what Green's qualities might be. There was there was glimpses in pre-season, and I and I do see. Him, yeah, well, the thing know, is, he, he was playing centre forward in pre-season. It, exactly. And, I mean, me and Chris went to the uh, mm. the West Ham game, and uh, as soon as he, I think he came on as a sub in that, and straight away he had an impact where uh, it was almost the dress rehearsal for the goal he did score, and then obviously uh, later, a few days later, against Dresden, he uh, he scored twice. So if Codger was still uh, playing with his head down and not playing with any confidence, it might have been worth playing in, playing Green down the middle, even you know if it's just for a few minutes as a sub, just to uh, see if he can make more of an impact that way. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But um, what about this new um, dynamic holding midfielder that we've got, the Irish international? <laughs> what about him? <laughs> what about him? Well, he gave one of those performances where there's a, there's a proportion of our fan base, and I'm happy to stick my head above the parapet, who just have always been desperate for Whelan to fail. And we, we have we have the benefit of, of hindsight and looking back and of being able to say individual games have been poor. I think he put in a fantastic performance against Brentford. Vocal, yeah. Yeah. Uh, breaking up the play. Some There was some fantastic passing, but one or two interceptions where if he hadn't been stood where he was stood, you know, they're, they're in, on, in on Chester and, and Yedinak. And... I just thought it was really, really strong performance. He had the highest uh, pass completion rate, I think 93.3%. That's exactly what his role is. You know, yeah. He isn't there to break forward. He's there, he just keeps it ticking over. Probably Brentford aren't as physical a team as others. So yeah. they, people weren't going to get after him in the same way. But he just keeps the game moving and he lets sort of McGinn and Grealish get that 10, mm. 15, 20 yards further up the field where they can start hurting teams. You know, because the, the previous couple of games, Grealish had been, we'd spoken before, I think it was yeah. the Wigan game, He was take, Grealish was coming back and taking the ball off the centre-backs. Yeah, complete which waste is, you of know, time. It's, it's great to, you know, he's all very good and well in, in wanting to get involved, but you want him to start in the centre circle and get at teams. There's a question, we, we're doing the uh, listener questions at the end of this discussion and we'll release it separately, but there is one question that actually says, who do you play at holding midfielder, which is re- very relevant here because we've essentially mm. got three candidates here who all three of them have weaknesses, but all three of them have strengths. So it's like, who do you go for? Or do you just rotate? At this level, it's an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? To basically it have really three is, international yeah. midfielders who can all play. Yeah. Um, and you can they're all interchangeable depending on who you play against. They've all got fan camps and they've also, also all got hate, hatred camps mm. as well. I mean, what, what I would say is this, this is an area where, I mean, I jumped in with three or four criticisms of Bruce and I've been saying I'm sat on the fence and I'm going to throw another one here. This is where I think that where Bruce struggles with team selection. He got it right with Whelan. But yeah. you need to look at almost individual games and teams where you say, do you know what, Whelan was fantastic for the Brentford game. But I need yeah. Yedinak in that role for this game, or I put a Bjarnason in for this game. That's where yeah. I think management, management. Yeah, management. But rather it's, but it's than planning a few games ahead, mm. isn't it as well? Mm. Yeah, and it's it's it is exactly that. That Whelan perhaps is is into that Terry sort of age now, where he's not going to be playing three games in a week. But that's what perplexes me a bit by putting both Whelan and Yedinak in the team. Yeah. that you lose that you lose that rotation bit, and. Bjarnason might not be the natural swap in for the next game. And also, you, you would you will fade later on in the game uh, yeah, yeah. if you've got uh, Whelan, Yedinak, Hutton. I mean, these guys are all uh, approaching mid-30s. Say like with Yedinak, we saw at the end of last season in big games the pro, the pros and the cons to having him in the team. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I think it was the Blues game and the Cardiff game especially, he won everything in the air. Mm-hmm. If you play against yeah. anybody who's going to play an aerial game, mm-hmm. he'll mop it up. He's fantastic mm. at that, but you look at teams who target him for pace and positioning, mm. and he's a sitting duck. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think he can he can he can do a far more effective job as a defensive sort of midfielder because he can literally almost play as a, a third centre back almost. Mm. Whelan's that kind of keep the game ticking over, but isn't necessarily going to um, offer you the same aerial presence or physical presence in the same way. And Bjarnason is a little bit of everything. He's he's more of a a general midfielder than a, a specifically defensive midfielder because I think he offers what the other two don't in that he can actually get a goal. Mm. Yeah, it, It's a well, funny it's... one, isn't it? It's a position that uh, almost in, in Villa's current situation as well, that if if it's the wrong pick or it's the wrong man and you become very exposed and, and when you're circling where the goals are coming from, it often would be in, in and around that role, wouldn't it? And... You did rightly say that it's about picking the right ones at the right times. I mean, for mm. example, last season when we beat Wolves, obviously mm. with Yedinak, and it's a you know high-intensity game, and then a f- couple of days later you're playing QPR, who were coming fired up, and he played Yedinak when really he should have played 
Bjarnason, in my opinion, just mm. to cover more ground. And then fast forward a few days and you're playing Bolton in the snow and that's a bit more of a bombardment because they're obviously playing to the elements. That's when you needed Yedinak, but instead Yedinak had obviously played two games in quick succession. So he played Bjarnason and now Bjarnason, that wasn't his... I mean, he should have, should have been his game, being a bloody uh, Icelandic, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you would have been better served with the physical presence of Yedinak. So that was, uh, in my book, that was a real selection cock-up last season. But it's, just it's a bit to... of man management, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Like, I, remember, I remember Ferguson always used to say with people like Nicky Butt, you know, he would always um, say, you know, you're not playing this week, you're not playing next the week after that, but I've got a game in three weeks' time in the Champions League and I want mm. you to do this job, mm. so be prepared. Mm. Yeah. And normally he'd play and he'd do that job really well. And I think there's a certain amount that Bruce could adopt that, you know, if, if he starts looking further Head. Maybe this is what Bruce is doing with uh, Mika Richards and uh, Ross McCormack. You're not playing this week. You're not playing next week. You're not playing the week after. You're not playing the week after that. In fact, you're not playing for the next eight months. But there's a job I want you to do. Yeah. In the summer, it's called packing your bags. <laughs> we need to collect these wages. I can't even remember what the last game of the season is. But maybe that's when McCormack comes in and uh, wins this promotion. Just one one thing. I mean, again, against Brentford, and I think it's what you're alluding to, Chris, about Yedinak being like a sitting duck, is we have been very vulnerable to the counter. Mm. And I don't know if having a bit more pace with the with the wide midfielders will uh, actually kind of help in that department, or if that's just a matter of playing defenders in their uh, rightful positions. Probably a bit of both, isn't it? I think we did we discussed before that even by adding one new winger, you can actually completely change the dynamic of your team because if you've if you've got a good right winger, all of a sudden El Mohamedi can go back to right back, and you've actually got a really strong right hand side because both players can attack would have thought that Twanzebu would go into a centre-back position and all of a sudden your back four begins to look a little bit more balanced. And Hudson at left or...? For the time being, I think. I mean, unless... The reality is, you know, he's either going to get suspended or he'll get an injury or something. Taylor will get opportunities. It's whether Taylor comes in and actually takes those opportunities, which, from what we've seen, his confidence isn't sky high. So I think Hutton's probably the solid option, especially if you're going to play a more attacking midfield three or a you know, a proper winger on the left-hand side. I think Hutton then isn't under as much pressure to to have to bomb on, and you actually be, you, you end up you end up having a much more solid back four, and the the midfield and the attackers have to do the the brunt of the legwork rather than having two wing backs getting up and down. In terms of Yedinak, you're just talking about rotating the three of those DMs and taking into account yeah. whoever we're we're playing on a certain any given day. Yeah, I mean Yedinak can be a centre back. He's you'd class him as an option, but he definitely isn't the option. To mm. me. So what about Tony Elphick? The same applies. I think I think he'll get opportunities through the season. And it's whether it's whether he takes them or not. You know, I think Twanzebe played really well against Brentford. He deserves to retain his place in the mm. team, be it at centre back or right back. The goalkeeper, uh, I've never I mean I mentioned it last last podcast that both goalkeepers look like car crashes waiting to happen and straight after that podcast Ipswich happened and that was uh, a howler of a mistake. And then uh, May disagree, but he should have been a, done a bit better with that. Should have had stronger wrists for that second goal. Possibly a little bit of its luck, isn't it? He made two big saves. Yeah, one pr- problem he had before he was actually he picked the ball out the net more times than he had saves to make. So he only had like one save in a couple of games. Uh, I think Ipswich had one shot on target, which was the goal. Yeah. So he had no foundations to build confidence. He was going for crosses, picking the ball out of the net, and that was about it. He, he didn't have any chance to I mean, uh, show he was the, the man. With, that was the story with Johnson, wasn't it, really? Even last season, for a lot of moments, you know, there'd be a lot of games where he'd have nothing to do, and then we'd make our customary boob up at the back, and it'd end up in the back of the net. So it's yeah. kind of a bit of luck. I think, you know, the, the, the save he made at the end to prevent it from being 3-1 was a huge save. I think he'll, mm. he'll take great confidence from that. Yeah, and I suppose there's the the factor in in that well he doesn't know what his back four is in front of him yet. So absolutely, I think there's a, there's yeah. a couple of big biggies for me that he's this is a big step up professionally. Yeah, I, I think that it's very early to judge him, and I think he's under the microscope because we've also we've not been blessed with with many good goalkeepers for a number of seasons now. Is that you know widely widely known fact among anyone who watches the Villa? Yeah, we've had a poor continental. European goalkeeper in recent history, and there's there's two big big things for goalkeepers for me of any age of any uh, you know from anywhere really. I think they've got to have a strong defence in front of them, and I think that's how Johnston 
blossomed because having someone like Chester and, and Terry anchored in front of you was no surprise ultimately that he that he managed to benefit from that. And the other big factor is that your defence then has to have confidence in the goalkeeper, and the two the yeah. two are vital because. They they interlink, you know. A nervous a nervous defence, however good it can be, can't be worrying about who stood behind them because in those big moments, because chances will come for any team. Yeah. That that goalkeepers have to make big saves sometimes. The 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 real plus for me that he, he made a couple of big contributions over the ninety minutes. I thought he yeah. looked shaky at times, no doubt about it. I and I can allow for that. I'd have been worried if you know if we'd have been walking away going bloody hell, we've lost three four one at home to to Brentford and the goalkeeper looks ropey as fuck. But I didn't walk away thinking that. I thought. There's something to work with there. The thing, the thing with goalkeepers, they're obviously going to, even if they're bad, they're going to make saves because that's, you know, that's their job. Mm. Mm. I mean, especially at, when you're professional level, you're not going to buy a goalkeeper and they miss everything that comes their way. So they're going to make some saves. And this was the thing about Enkelman, for example, to mention that E word. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> he would have some. He would have some good games and and you know makes decent saves, but. You were you were never confident because at no. any moment, and and to a certain extent, David James was at the epitome of that. Oh, and Calamity for, James yeah. and Sorensen, and for the Villa, I mean, he got his name Calamity at Liverpool, but for the Villa, he was solid all that season, and we were all sitting there thinking, "Oh, masterstroke, this, you know, we've got James, and he's actually uh, he's matured the now." The FA Cup final, and then the FA Cup final comes along, and in that moment of need, when you need to bank on somebody, mm. he uh, he fucked it up. And, you know, would have gone to penalties in that game nil-nil and would have won it if it wasn't for that. I, I, I've seen the future. <laughs> or seen the past with the future. I don't know, one of those two. Back to the future. Back to the future, yeah. I went back to the future and that's actually what happened. So there you go. Peter Witt hit the, hit the post in my version. <laughs> <laughs> and Bayern Munich beat us on penalties. <laughs> So, Nylon, it's basically, it's almost like we don't look at the league table until 10 games. Let's see what happens mm. to the uh, the keeper in uh, 10 games. I mean, Johnson, everybody says, oh, Johnson was terrible, but he, he was pretty good in his first game against Spurs. He was pretty mm. solid. You thought, you know, there's a keeper there. He's young. Obviously, he's not going to be the finished article. But with him, if he made a mistake, you thought, well, you know, he's young and uh, this is his first main job. But you saw the potential with these guys the other goalkeeper, I couldn't believe that he was a professional goalkeeper. Just his uh, <laughs> how he was hesitating and wimping Marrera out of every ball. Awful, didn't he at Yeovil? And oh, people, dear. I mean, people are saying, "Oh, kept a clean sheet and saved the penalty." I mean, these are these are pricks that are actually watch games and don't you know know little about football beyond social media, football manager, and uh, the highlights. If you know what I mean. That goalkeeper, I've never seen anybody look so shaky. And as I said uh, last episode. If that's him on a bad day and he keeps a clean sheet, then we're we're not going to win the league. We're not going to concede anything. <laughs> <laughs> the man is the man is blessed because that was uh, it was scary when the ball was in our half. It was scary straight away. All they had to do is take a shot from the halfway line. I mean, Yeovil should have really turned us over there. Just shoot if you get in their half, shoot. Should have been the manager's instructions at half time. Is it is it wrong that I, I was on holiday for that game? I'm actually really looking forward to seeing. Oh, you haven't goal. seen it. You built yeah. that up. I'm so excited now to see the comedy. Uh, well, yeah. he's, he's bound to play against Burton, so uh, oh, get ready news. for that game. I can't wait. But no, it was I've I've never seen anybody so like you'd go for it and you go yeah go on then son and then suddenly you would just like freeze for a second and, no 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 keep going keep going. <laughs> And you'd just get a limp, yeah. you'd flap it away when that was there to either be caught with both hands or just punched for, flapping for 50 yards. I can't wait. I'm really what, watch to him. He's, yeah, hopefully we carry on in that cup because I think he keeps playing. So obviously he needs games, so he keeps playing. We, we need to get an away draw against the Premier League team and then we'll probably get video-aided referee as well. They're, they're starting yeah. to trial it in the League Cup. Four games in the next round. Why couldn't they have trialled it in the playoff final? Mm. This gets God. us onto the subject of stamping, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, there's not really a conversation. It was a stamp. Uh, he got a three-match <laughs> ban, and that's it. Somebody did raise an interesting point where they said he should have got a two-match ban and then banned from the return game, Villa Brentford. Mm. I thought that's quite a good idea. You Renaissance man, you. Yeah. They won't need him anyway at that point. We always implode at Brentford anyway, so he can enjoy a nice <laughs> afternoon off. <laughs> I, I listened to uh, five minutes of a Brentford podcast and somebody uh, said, you know, blah, 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 blah. He goes, well, you know, at the end of the day, three times we've been to Villa Park last three seasons, haven't lost yet. <laughs> and you're thinking, yeah, 
Mm. Right, Barcelona. Yeah, we've got fucking McGinney Esther now. It doesn't matter, does it? You <laughs> <laughs> fuckers. Clog dancing. Southern fuckers. <laughs> and it started again for the season. Pub team. Pub t- I just, First it was yeah, full off, now I it's mean, Brentford. come on. They, they, no. Whoever that goddamn Villa fan was who <laughs> called them a pub team on Twitter two, three years ago. <laughs> They've never they, let that go. Essentially hexing us from ever beating mm. them again. You know, when, when you say something on uh, social media and say, oh, don't, don't tempt fate. Don't buy Scott Hogan. <laughs> yeah, not only Send did us we... your Chinese millions. <laughs> no... <laughs> <laughs> All yeah, twelve of them plus three million bonus. <laughs> Not only did the hex make them unbeatable against a team playing in Claren Blue, but yeah, also all our Chinese millions were were sucked away from us. Terrible. I don't think they strictly were Chinese millions, were they? They were Villa's millions. Tony didn't have the money, did he? No, we we haven't touched the parachute money, Your Honour. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> liar. Which. Uh, you may remember, uh, I think it was episode 46, where we started the podcast with the actual first interview of Dr. Tony, in-house interview, and uh, I, I put comedy sound effects uh, on some of the crazy answers he was giving. Oh, yes, we will definitely be promoted uh, to the Premier League. Oh, yes, we will win champ- Champions League again and again and again, and we will be the biggest team in the world. Uh, yesterday, Chris- Keith Wyness liked that Twitter post. So we have officially provided evidence, corporate evidence for the uh, ensuing uh, compensation in case. I'd love if he just wandered in, you know, like with a 1970s cassette player and just pressed play. <laughs> the defence rests, John. Well, we'll be there. I mean, we'll take a microphone in there because it'll be a great podcast episode. I'm going to wear a double-breasted suit just for fancy dress. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, to be continued on that front, let's see how that uh, transpires. But, I mean, Tony's making out he's the most virtuous man in the world. Uh, and then mm. Keith Wyness is basically saying uh, he's he's been shafted. It's not a nice mental image, is it? In any, in any breakup, both sides blame each other. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's yeah. uh, part of the course. Uh, I think it was the moment when, when Dr. Tony realised an Egyptian and an American flag had been ordered to hang off the... <laughs> Hang off the stand that he knew something was awry. <laughs> Allegedly. Let's see how that one plays out. In terms of uh, the loans coming in, Yannick Balassi uh, is incoming. Uh, slightly delayed, but by the time you listen to this, you'd have probably seen him announced. Uh, Yannick had told me there was you know, two or three clubs interested. He wanted to come up and have a look around. And you know, then he was going to go off to other clubs and look at their clubs. So there was no problems. He was very straight and honest with it. But I think he's going to Villa. <laughs> The other guy coming in, Anwar El Ghazi, uh, I have a friend Mm. who's one of the Top honchos of the one of the Ajax uh, supporter clubs who goes everywhere following him around Europe, and he said he's kind of a strong winger because I think he's like six foot two, isn't he? So he's, he's a bit of a kind of a powerhouse, and he can shrug you know shrug players off. And he's uh, he said he's he's quite a good winger, so I don't know what that means, but he said it's a good signing. I mean, if he's played for Ajax, you'd have thought he's going to be technically a good player. You know, he's going to have a first touch, unlike a lot of our lads, and he's the videos look good of him. Yeah, he scored in the North Camp, and he's played Champions League, and. Uh, I always rank wingers uh, in terms of are they an Alexander Toneth or a Didier Gath. I think anything above, frankly, in, in my experience of modern Aston Villa is that, you know, I've seen Ulysses de la Cruz. I, I, know, I know the wrong end. You've got a point, actually. He's never going to be the worst winger Villa have had. So uh, he can confidently walk into Bodymore Heath, swing in his little toiletries bag, knowing he's, uh, he's not going to be ridiculed straight away. What was um? I was trying to think the other. Was it was it Dawkins we had on loan from Tottenham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful. There's another one for you. I mean, he can come and he can play really badly and probably be a legend. But Belassi, what's your views on him, if you have any? Because I can't really remember. I mean, Crystal Palace have had so many like sharp, nifty wingers. Uh, mm. in, I mean, this is obviously 
Crystal Palace. I'm talking about the team that he's he really uh, excelled in that got him the big 25 million move to Everton. And I, I, I've got to be honest, I haven't really seen him do anything at Everton. I don't think they have either, have they? He's been injured most yeah. of the time. Yeah. I think I think the whole the move is is probably good for for both sides mm. on the face mm. of it. I think he needs game time, which you would have thought he'll be coming to Villa to play. He certainly won't be coming to be a, a squad player. Now, there's, there'll be big question marks about his fitness and will he have lost a yard of pace? And obviously, you know, is he going to be match fit or have any form? But I think if you get close to where he was in you know his, his heyday at Palace, I think at this level, he'll be destructive. Mm. It's just whether you can get the games out of him. Yeah, because what we need is a bit of spark and, and maybe, should I say, unpredictability because Elmo's kind of a steady Eddie, isn't he? You know exactly what he's going to do. Well, you know he's got his one ball down the line. Ball comes to him. He puts the sole of his foot on it, rolls it forward a little bit, and then he delivers the same ball. And still to this day, I when I saw him against Watford in that pre-season friendly, his first game where he was really up driving at the uh, the fullback, I thought, here we go, this is what we've needed. And then that was the last he ever did that. He would get to the edge of the 18 and then just put his foot on the ball and then just cross it in. I mean, to be fair, I think he's actually had a really good start to the season this year. Yeah. He's was, looked good and he seems to have relished his sort of advanced role. I don't think it will last much longer, but I think if he can build a partnership with someone similarly to how he had with Snodgrass last year, I actually think mm. he's a, a really useful right back to have. Mm. Yeah. You know, because he can deliver and he's got a good delivery on him. It's you know slightly inconsistent, but he's one of these guys who if you put him in a good position, he'll more often than not deliver a good ball. And with Codger appearing to be firing again, mm. you've actually got somebody who might get on the end of it. So just finally, in this part of the podcast... What do we need from the loan market? Is there anything else? If you could have one or let's say two players, what would you uh, aim for, Chris? I would have thought probably, it's probably going to be a striker, isn't it? You'd think if we could go and get Tammy Abraham or, or whoever. Yeah. I think you can probably make do with what you've got as a left in a left-back position and maybe go and buy somebody in January if you have to. I'd say a striker. Dan, what, what do you think in terms of one more? Yeah, I, I think either an out-and-out striker or um, a a player who you would say maybe sits in a diamond of attacking midfielders uh, purely because uh, I mean I'll be honest I think that we, we McCormack doesn't look like he's ever going to be rehabilitated into a Villa shirt under Bruce Hogan um, is, is made of glass and just doesn't seem to be working for him for whatever reason at Villa Park. Are we going to be risking another season down there hoping that one of the younger lads, lads comes off I, I can't see that and the one disadvantage that I think we've got is that we're very late to the game, albeit with a loan, transfer-wise. So, you know, Tammy Abrahams is the one that's banded around that could come off. But I wouldn't be surprised to see us looking, you know, further afield, really. Or maybe yeah. into, you know, we've just been talking about the Balassies of this world. Who, What players, at fr- you know, can you might you take a risk on? Because I think that for all of the exciting bits that a Balassie offers, I think that he comes with big risk, form, fitness, What's his appetite? To, you know, to to do anything really. There's a risk there, but I, you know, equally, there's a there's a, a young striker at Southampton. I think has been mooted as an option. His, his name escapes me at the moment. But there's risk. You Not know, Shane like Long. Took, uh, no, the, the young, um, <laughs> young Irish striker. Um, but you know, we we saw the issues with you know we were we were hunting around for Sam Gallagher last season. He goes to Blues, doesn't really impress greatly. Yeah, um, but was seen as an option, and yeah, there is this uh, notion of uh, just get somebody in, get anybody in. You know, mm. it's just because it, any signing excites fans. But then when you actually uh, do the accounts and look at people who have actually contributed to the cause, the percentage isn't that high, really, is it? Most of them turn out to be muppets. I mean, again, there's a, there's a barometer <laughs> yes. of success here. It could be Grant Holt, Marlon Harewood. <laughs> oh, we've had some shockers. Bosco Balaban. Bosco Balaban, you know. Yeah, and he, he took Gilles was, de Bilder on loan. I seem to recall. I went to uh, I went to Croatia. Uh, must have been to Croatia five or six times. Uh, f- five of those were within a space of a couple of years. And if I was at like a party or something, there would always be at least one conversation where somebody in Zagreb would thank me f- for the m- money they got uh, for Bosco Balaban. They would, you know, they'd be Dynamo, <laughs> Dynamo Zagreb supporters. But I was always, uh, 
We're dynamo-outing on it every night. I, I was always welcomed <laughs> in the city of Zagreb for some reason. Uh, and and yeah. after thinking about it, I realised why. Because I support the team that essentially built uh, the city of Zagreb <laughs> with the money they gave them for Bosco Balaban. Anyway, we digress. Right, we're going to uh, crack on and uh, answer the listener questions, which you'll be able to uh, listen to next time. Uh, in the meantime, please do, uh, if you have not become a, a patron of the show, Please do join, and uh, also sort of since the last show, Chris uh, Lonnon has joined, and Adam, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but I'm going for Shura Shazretta. Big shout out and thanks to them for joining. Uh, you can join the My Old Man Said patrons by going to myomansaid.com and clicking on the patron sign. And when you see uh, the podcast on social media, Twitter or wherever, please do uh, give it a retweet or share it just to help get the word out. Because if you've got friends, then obviously they have got good taste if they're your friends because you've got good taste because you listen to the show. So let's uh, spread the word, people. Right. I normally say uh, until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye, goodbye. from him. <laughs> so I don't know how to do this. Them. I'll do that. What good, I'll just, do. Just, just goodbye from us. No, you've got to keep the Ronnies going. Or if you're from Wolverhampton, it's goodbye from Wim. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. See you later. My old man Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.